0: This episode is brought to you by Citizen M. There's no better feeling than finishing work for the day, sipping an ice-cold soda and nuzzling down into a Citizen M bed. Recharge your brain and batteries at Citizen M hotels. They're in the tech cities, Menlo Park, Miami, Austin, New York, San Francisco, where people like you work, sleep, and play. Book now at citizenm.com slash thejournal.
1: The Mormon Church asks followers to donate 10% of their income to the church every year. That money goes to doing things like building temples, sending missionaries around the world, and running daily operations. But the church, officially known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, brings in more money each year than it needs to fund its operations. And the rest of that money is put into an investment fund.
0: That fund has become one of the biggest in the world, and very few people, including faithful Mormons, know about it. Its employees have to sign lifetime non-disclosure agreements and are forbidden to talk about their work. But now, for the first time ever, in an exclusive interview with The Wall Street Journal, religious and financial leaders who run the fund agreed to speak publicly about it.
1: Today on the show, what is the Mormon Church's fund, and why is it so
0: secret? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business and power. I'm Ryan Knutson
1: and I'm Kate Limbaugh. It's Monday, February 10th. Last December, information about the Mormon Church's fund, which is called Ensign Peak, was revealed in a whistleblower report. The report raised questions about the tax implications of the fund, which still have not been confirmed. But in the process, the whistleblower did something else. Revealed the size of the church's holdings for the first time. $100 billion, which is a ton of
0: money. SoftBank's Vision Fund, which is the world's largest technology venture capital fund, has about $100 billion, so it's the same size as that. The Harvard University endowment is less than half the size of the fund that Enzyme Peak has amassed. Definitely huge. A really, really, really big fund. Ian
1: Lovett covers religion. And after the whistleblower report came out, he and reporter Rachel Levy, who covers hedge funds, asked the church for an interview.
0: For the first time ever, church officials, they agreed to have both the head of the firm and the religious leaders who oversee the firm sit down and talk
1: So last month, Ian and Rachel flew out to Salt Lake City and got to see Ensign Peak's headquarters.
0: It's okay. nice. Oh, this is lovely. It's so loud. Wow. It's very unassuming the name of the firm doesn't appear on the, the building's directory in the lobby. When you get inside, in a lot of respects, it looks the same as any investment firm would look. CNBC is on television. Copies of The Wall Street Journal are on the table in the lobby. In other ways, however, it's immediately very obvious that it's different from other investment firms. On the walls are paintings that are almost exclusively either scenes from the Bible or scenes from Mormon history, like pioneers from the 1800s trekking across the plains to what is now Utah.
1: And if you look out a window in the lobby, you'll also see the Utah landscape.
0: So is that where they, they came down? Yeah, that's exactly. where Brigham Young came down. Oh, that's so cool. And then in Isaiah, it says, somewhere we'll build an ensign to the nation— or where people will be gathered. And that's, what, and that's why they named that peak right there Ensign Peak.
1: That mountain is also how the fund got its name. After seeing the lobby, Ian and Rachel went into the office of the head of Ensign Peak, Roger Clark.
0: On one wall, you can see the church headquarters across the street. On the other wall, he had the book Principles by Ray Dalio on a bookshelf. And Ray Dalio is the founder of Bridgewater Associates, which is a large hedge fund. And he said that Ray Dalio and some others at that fund had been very influential in the way that people at Enzyme Peak think about investing and think about the market. And those two things combined, I think, really paint a picture of what this job is for him, that there's a religious aspect to it for him where it feels like a calling, where it feels like much higher purpose than he had when he was just running an investment office in Los Angeles beforehand. But also that he's just doing real world investing work the same as anybody on Wall Street is. He actually keeps an ancient Roman coin, and he called it a mite, which is a reference to the biblical story of the widow's mite.
2: It was a small Roman coin.
0: Oh, wow. That they would have paid, paid their offerings in the... That's so cool. And he does this because he says it's a reminder of the biblical story of a widow donated to the temple in Jerusalem, basically all that she had.
2: So, anyway, it's just a reminder, I think, about the, the purpose of the funds. Yeah. And, You know, many of the funds come from people who don't make a lot of money. Yeah. It
0: just helps remind me, we want to be prudent and careful. He said that it was tithing from people all over the world, some of whom were very poor, and that he wanted to be very careful about guarding it and taking care of it.
1: Many denominations of Christianity have some form of tithing. And for the Mormon church especially, tithes are central and come with more
0: formality. Everyone is supposed to tithe 10% in the LDS church, no matter how much money you have. If you want to have what's called a temple recommend, which allows you to go into the Mormon temples, which are the holiest space in the religion, you have to tithe and you have to have an interview with a church official where you sort of tell them that that's what you're doing. No one audits you, but there's more pressure on Mormons to tithe 10%.
1: Ian and Rachel wanted to know more about how tithing plays into the church's finances. But the officials wouldn't provide specifics on questions like how much the church gets in tithes, what the church's budget is, and how much goes into Ensign Peak each year. When they asked church leaders why the numbers are so secret, they got one explanation from Bishop Gérald Cosset, who presides over the fund.
2: On, on the, the question of how much, we are not going to be able to answer all the questions that you ask about specific numbers. Okay. Those funds for us are sacred, and, and so the members of the church have a great faith in the fact that they are managed with a great care and wisdom, and they are all only used for the purpose of the church.
0: I cover the financial world. It is not common for investment pools of this size to not share how much money that they manage. So
2: what we can share with you—and thank you for your questions—the faithful members of the church donate several billion dollars a year, and those uh, those are tithes and offerings, so we treat them as sacred. We don't flaunt them. We don't throw them out uh, for public
0: uh, review and, and, and critique. We treat
1: them as- But for all the secrecy, Ensign Peak invests its money pretty typically.
0: Ensign Peak doesn't look that different from any number of large investment funds. They own about $40 billion in U.S. equities. You know, they have more than $100 million in Apple stock, almost $100 million in Google stock, common things like that.
1: Despite these similarities to Wall Street, there are also differences because of Ensign Peak's religious nature. For instance, the people who work there on the investment side are church employees and are compensated as such.
0: They all could have made much more money doing very similar work on Wall Street or even at outside firms in Salt Lake City, but that they wanted to work for Ensign Peak because they saw it as a kind of religious calling. They believed in the work that the church is doing and they wanted to be part of that. And that was more fulfilling for them than just working as a money manager for a private company.
1: This religious mission also applies to Ensign Peak's investments.
0: The church for decades has preached various moral principles like staying away from alcohol, from tobacco, adult entertainment. And the fund follows these principles pretty diligently. They don't invest in any stocks that are related to alcohol or tobacco or other industries they don't approve of.
1: What do you know about the breakdown of the fund's investments?
0: Former employees said that about 70 percent of the money is liquid. And Mr. Clark confirmed that more than half is liquid.
1: So more than half of the money of this $100 billion fund is, like, in stocks or bonds or something.
0: Yes, and they can basically liquidate most of it at any time if they want.
1: Such a large fund with anywhere from $50 to $70 billion liquid begs the question, what is this money for and why is such a large portion
0: of it liquid?
1: This was hard for Ian and Rachel to figure out because many employees of the firm told them they have no idea either.
0: In fact, it's so secretive that they actually didn't tell a lot of the employees what the money was for. And in certain cases, there would be Q&A sessions with the religious leaders, and employees would ask them what the money is for. And the religious leaders, at least in one case, told them, we don't know either, we're waiting for direction from the prophet, who's the president of the church. And so even within the firm, there was enormous mystery about what the purpose of the fund was.
1: After the break, the possible answers to that enormous mystery.
0: This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, Whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. The Mormon Church does have an explanation for why it's keeping $100 billion in
0: Ensign Peak. The explanation that church officials gave was that it's basically a rainy day fund, that at the moment the economy is good, tithing revenues are strong. The the tithing revenues are here. One day, the tithing revenues may not be there. Mm -hmm. And who knows when that's going to happen? Well, if
2: something like that were to happen again— We won't have to stop missionary work, we won't have to stop building temples, we won't have to stop the humanitarian work, we won't have to close down the universities. We'll be able to do all the
0: things that we're doing now because we're taking care of the resources. Mm -hmm. Church officials say that they don't need this money to pay for the basic church expenses like the missionary programs and the temples and the universities that they own. But that in the future, they're expecting there will be another downturn and that they'll need the money just to fund basic church programs. And that that will be especially true as they push into poorer areas where the tithing can't support their operations the way it can in the U.S. But we asked Roger Clark how much they dipped into Enzyme Peaks reserves during the 2008 financial crisis. And he said basically not at all, that instead what they did was cut the budget. $100 billion as a rainy day fund for a financial crisis seems awfully large when you used almost none of the money that you already had in 2008, which was the biggest financial crisis in almost 100 years.
1: Some Mormons have raised another possibility for why the church is maintaining such a large investment fund, a theory that's based on faith.
0: Like other Christian religious groups, Mormons believe that there will be a second coming of Jesus Christ and that he will then rule on Earth for a thousand years. But they also believe that as the second coming approaches, you're going to see more war, more earthquake, more hurricanes. There has been a lot of speculation that the fund is being saved for this period of hardship before the second coming. Several former employees said they heard Roger Clark reference the second coming— in explaining what the purpose of the money in Enzyme Peak was. The church denied this. They said that has nothing to do with it. Um, But people continue to think that that could be part of what the fund is for.
1: Were you surprised that there would be a $100 billion fund for this kind of of end-of-days scenario?
0: Yes and no. On the one hand, the number itself is unbelievably jarring, especially with only 16 million Mormons. On the other hand, Mormons have been famous for a long time for sort of preparing for doomsday scenarios. The church for many years advised members to have at least a year's supply of food, a year's supply of water, a year's supply of fuel, things like that. The church actually has an absolutely massive grain silo in Salt Lake City. And they say that none of this is for the second coming specifically, but a lot of people, including some members of the church, continue to think that it is.
1: When you were sitting with these Ensign Peak officials, did you ask them about this theory?
0: Yes. Yes. We asked them, and church officials said that this was simply not the case, that they did expect Jesus Christ to return at some point, but they didn't know when that would be. They didn't know what that would look like. They didn't know if financial assets would have any value at that point, and that the money was about the work they wanted to do to build the church before then and not about preparing for for the second coming.
1: Are they defensive about that? I mean, why would Clark say this privately to people, but he wouldn't say it to you?
0: They were defensive about it. And in fact, church leaders are very sensitive about their beliefs about the second coming being misconstrued. And when we asked about it in the interview, their head of public relations interrupted us and admonished us to be respectful in the way that we write the story. So I I have a follow-up question for Mr. Clark. With regard to the Second Coming, how would that work in terms of the investments that Ensign holds? How would you get assets out of investments if, there was a, if the Second Coming were to happen?
2: May I just say, I hope you'll be respectful of our faith and what we believe. As Christians, as Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are very respectful and we view the Savior's role in our life as very important. So I just hope the nature of your questions is respectful of our doctrine and our faith as well.
0: They all affirm that they believe in the second coming, that they believe it'll happen at some point, but that is absolutely not what the money is for. So of all of the things that they spoke most clearly and emphatically on, this was actually it, where they were denying that the second coming had anything to do with why they were putting this money away.
1: Given these denials, Ian and Rachel wanted to better understand the fund's secrecy. If this money is really for an economic downturn— Why hadn't they talked publicly about it? After they left the sit-down interview with church officials, they caught Roger Clark in the lobby.
0: He gave a different answer about why they've been so secret about the fund that I think was very illuminating about their fear that if members knew how much money the church had, they would think twice about tithing. Latter-day Saints believe that the point of tithing isn't necessarily to enrich the church, that it's about showing your commitment to God and being willing to make a sacrifice, and they believe that God will bless those who tithe. I thought that was a very important point.
2: And and paying tithing is more a a sense of commitment than it is the church needing the money. And so they never wanted to be in a position where people felt like— you know, they they shouldn't make the contribution
0: because the uh, church didn't need it. yeah, uh-huh.
2: So I think that may have played some part in it.
1: I was... During his trip to Salt Lake City, Ian went to a church to ask congregants about this concern that they would stop tithing because of the size of the fund. And it turns out they didn't feel that way at all.
0: Everyone I found there was very supportive of the church. They sort of said, They were proud that the church had managed the money so well and that members were successful and were able to tithe in this way and that they trusted the church to continue to manage it responsibly and they would continue to tithe 10% themselves. And the fact that there was this huge stockpile of money didn't change that in any way.
1: Other Mormons Ian spoke to didn't have a problem with the fund in principle, but they wanted to see it used more immediately for charity.
0: So one of the people I spoke to is named Sam Brunson. He's a professor of tax law at Loyola University in Chicago. And he's very active talking and writing about issues in the LDS church as well. And so he said $100 billion is so much money that it could be used to solve some major real-world problems. So, for example, he said they could put it towards helping eradicate malaria or they could put it towards fixing the electrical grid in Puerto Rico, which was basically completely knocked out by the hurricane Or alternatively, he said, they could just change the way that the church thinks about tithing. What a number of people are saying is that the church already has so much money and that tithing doesn't have to mean donating to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that it could mean donating to other charities, that it could mean work. And this is an idea that I've heard from a few people.
1: It seems like news of this big fund is casting doubt for some Mormons about their tithing. Which kind of makes you wonder, why is there so much secrecy? And what does the Mormon church stand to gain from it?
0: After having reported on this, I am no closer to understanding than I was at the start. What is gained by being so secretive about this fund? A number of people I talked to, members of the church, sort of said, if the church would just come out and say openly, this is how much money we have, then it actually wouldn't be such a big deal. It would cease to be this kind of subject of intrigue that it is now. And that by continuing to not disclose what their holdings are, they've just made it this guessing game about just how rich is the Mormon church. And the church in talking to us for this story has started to answer some of those questions, but I don't think they have answered them to the satisfaction of all their members.
1: That's all for today. Monday, February 10th.
0: The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Rachel Levy for her reporting.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: See you tomorrow.